As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I uh, was out at the Tullamarine Airport waiting for my bag to come off the carousel. There was a squeeze on my arm and uh, I looked around and there's this uh, fairly tough-looking individual, uh, heavily built in a black suit and a black tie. And uh, I looked at him, I thought, Jesus, I know your name. I'll call him Jack, which is not his name. And I said, Jack, what are you doing out? Roland Legg is quite simply a legendary investigator. On occasions when murderers return to the scene, either they think they might have left something behind... Or perhaps they've thought that that is not the most ideal spot to leave it. 37 years in the job, one of Australia's longest-serving homicide detectives. He's seen it all. I haven't yet been to the scene of a homicide, the hundreds that I've been to over the years, that hasn't been disturbing in one way or another. He's old school. 
They're not insane. They're just evil. And he's going to be live on stage with us, talking about some of his biggest cases, which also happen to be some of the most memorable in Australian true crime history, from Jaden Lesky to Jason Moran. And Roland will take your questions live on stage. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Tickets are on sale for two Melbourne shows, one at the Karalika Theatre in Ringwood on May 28 and another at the Yarraville Club on June 12, both with our special guest, Roland Legg. For links to where you can buy tickets, check out our socials. And for links to our socials, check out the show notes to this episode. I I don't say this lightly, these girls. It's not difficult to deal with them, but it's difficult at times. They find all sorts of things. Producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains accounts of sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Every single day that I've lived since the assault has been marked in some way. The best I can describe it is that a dark cloud that feels like dread and heaviness is always waiting close by. It comes when I leave the house alone, especially at night, but to my disappointment in the daytime, and I think about the risks, and in turn I'm reminded of the assault. This is especially relevant when I'm walking a dog or exercising. When in a supermarket, a tram or the street, seeing a man's face whose similarity reminds me of him, I have to remind myself that he's not currently out in public. Sometimes when I think about or engage in intimate acts with my partner, when I see children and I can't help but think about their potential to grow into someone who could assault or be assaulted, I also feel a lot of guilt. I feel guilty that I survived when other women in my situation didn't. That was the voice of a young woman called Dimity. She was sexually assaulted in September 2019. And that's an excerpt from the victim impact statement she read in court. We'll hear more from her next week on Australian True Crime. Some weeks ago, we ran an episode called The System's Victims. It's episode 205 of Australian True Crime, if you want to look it up. That show tells the story of a Victorian family's nine-year ordeal after the sexual assault of their eldest daughter by a trusted family friend. Our guest was the victim's mother, And so many of you contacted us to say you were outraged and heartbroken for her. She described breathtaking insensitivity on the part of detectives, open hostility in some cases, and when she complained about it, she was subjected to an abusive phone call from a high-ranking police member. There was a total lack of support services on offer for her daughter, and at least one officer told her straight out that many young women make up allegations of sexual assault. The mother herself was labelled difficult in court 
by a member of the investigating team when the judge asked why the case had been delayed by so many years. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next. In fairness, the matter we talked about in that episode took place in the early 2000s. This week, with her permission, we hear from the lead investigator into Dimity's 2019 sexual assault case. He's Detective Leading Senior Constable Brett Snagowski. We also speak to his boss, Detective Inspector Julianne Goldrick. They're both from Victoria Police. And they're at pains to explain to us how differently sexual assault cases are handled now because their ultimate goal is to encourage people to report those crimes. I guess I'm surprised to see male detectives in sockets. I assumed that it'd be mostly women. I actually haven't thought of it that way because the way I see it is it, it, it really depends on the person you're dealing with. And some like to engage with a male, some like to engage with a female. So I've not really considered it. I imagine that I would rather deal with a female detective if I were a victim. But then I, when thinking about it now, I think I suppose most of the perpetrators would be male. Um, well, over the eight years here, I can say I've had a bit of both. So, um, yes, it's a higher percentage um, that the, the, the victims will be female. Um, but I, I've had a number of jobs where it's, you know, you had a male victim. So Yeah, I guess observing the Royal Commission into institutional responses to childhood sexual abuse, is that the entire title of that? We saw a lot of male victims there. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's not uncommon, but, but for... Um, our crime theme, it's a smaller part, but it's... Still it's significant. still significant, yeah. Yeah. Th- that's very taxing work, I would imagine, day in, day out, psychologically. It is, but I think things have changed significantly in the police force for help identifying things. You rely on colleagues, so I think it's changed a lot. Do you still rely on alcohol? No, 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 no. Well, for myself, no. Um, I think it's, you don't really know what you're going through until someone comes up and says, are you okay? So it just varies from there. Because we do hear that a lot, don't we, Emily? We do hear a lot of officers and retired officers who talk about, and even a lot of them will sort of joke about it and say, oh, and of course, you know, a wine helps or a beer helps. Well, they'll admit they're like, excessive drinkers but that's just what they do this is retired coppers even recently we talked to or you spoke to joe noonan Mm. a retired copper who was talking about and he's got ptsd and didn't know he had ptsd for a long time and he talked about being at scenes where police died on a couple of occasions he was at scenes terrible scenes like that and he never spoke to anyone about it but he and other police would go and drink for hours without mentioning it directly from the scene to a drinking binge and not speak about it at all. And that was their sort of coping mechanism, which didn't help them cope at all. I guess people are just more onto that now. Very much so. Uh, At Crime Command, where we work, it's been a focus for a number of years. And the Friday night drinks aren't on anymore. I'm on the train, heading home as soon as I can. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. Brett, when a case comes to the squad, are you automatically assigned it or do people say a survivor gets a choice of who to speak to, like a male or a female like Michelle was talking about? No, we have a a crew response. So 
we, for this particular incident case that we're dealing with here, um, we were on call from midnight and we got a call not long after. On that particular night, uh, we had a sergeant and three others and so we responded accordingly. So um, in that instance, it was a male, all male guys there to respond. We have obviously a blend of crews, so it just depends on um, the night when you're on call who's going to be there. So I know in homicide there's a crew on call, so there'll be a lead detective and he'll have a crew or he or she will have a crew. Yep. Is that the way you guys work? Yeah, and it also depends on workload. And so in this instance, I had less investigations going, so um, it came to me. And then effectively from then you you run the investigation, but it's in oversight with your sergeant and the crew, basically. So we, we pretty much just work together. At, although I get the title, um, it's no one person who really runs this job. Yeah, and how does your investigation begin, or how did this one begin for you? Do you go... Got the call, yeah, got the call from the sergeant, told us that we had to turn out to this investigation, uh, which was out in Thornbury. The initial response will be from a divisional van, usually, so the call's gone through to triple zero and it comes to them. Depending on what's been reported, to then lead to different departments. So it went to the child and sex abuse unit, the, the initial response because of the sexual assault. They make an assessment and then they contact us. The main reason why it comes to us is because it was an unknown offender. Gosh, I believe, is it true that that is a minority of cases that in which it's an unknown offender? It is, but it's our primary for our investigation. So ah. um, we one of our key criteria is that an unknown offender is ours. So, for instance, if something happens in Echuca today, right now, and it's unknown, it'll come straight to us. And where do the known offenders go to? Where does that get investigated? They'll be to the local sockets or the, the sexual offence and child abuse units. Right. So what's your unit? The sexual crime squad. Wow. Okay, that's different to sockets. So we, we pretty much, well, we do. We cover the whole state. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're in response, you can end up anywhere. You have to have a bag packed, essentially. Correct. Gosh, we've talked about this as well, that you have to have a certain disposition to do your work because that would, my nerves are not up to that. Mm. My nerves are not up to the phone ringing and you have to go to Echuca or somewhere in Victoria to deal with something horrible that's happened to somebody, to assist somebody who is, has been just been traumatised and had some, something, probably the worst thing that's ever happened to them has just happened to them. Yes. It's either an area you can work in or you can't. Yeah. I don't think there's a grey area. And if there's any doubt, I don't think you should work there. In this case, when you went to the scene in Thornbury, the do we call the person a victim? Is that is that official language? No, for us is it that we've moved on from okay. um, calling that we a complainant, um, and that's a decision that's been made from obviously um, more higher ranking officers than us. But that's part of um, uh, the management of someone who's been a, vic- a victim of these type of um, offences. So it's all part of the the change that's happened over the years. Yeah, so right from the beginning, we don't call the person a victim for various reasons. That's not the culture that you want to create around it. No, well, the reason behind it, I think it's more about for us, is that we refer to them as complainants from the beginning all the way through to the court process. Mm -hmm. And that's how we refer to it in, in front of a jury and at court. And it's like how you're called the informant That's as correct. a police officer. So explain that. Why are you called an informant? Oh, that one's just been around from number one and it's usually the um, they, they consider you the lead investigator for that particular investigation. Um, but like I said to you, it, 
and in this case and where we work, um, it's no one person that solves a case or uh, the response to this was a, a full office response. And, I mean, I think it was three days we identified the fender. So, and we couldn't have done it without the, the resources that we had. Is there any amount in, in the changing of the wording from victim to complainant, is any of that related to not being sure whether or not the claim is true? No, I wouldn't say that. No, okay. No. no. And we, we, I think if you're going to work in, um, in relation to that, I think you treat everything as reported to you. And if you don't, you're not going to do your job properly. Okay. Because I'm sure you're aware that there are people, victims, there are victims' families, there are people who'll say police don't take sexual assault claims seriously, or they didn't take my sexual assault claim seriously, or they accused me of not telling the truth or whatever. And we've heard very recently of a police officer who said, oh, we get heaps of these reports and it's actually just a girl who regrets having had sex with somebody. Or she's embarrassed, she doesn't want her dad to know, or she doesn't want her boyfriend to know. She doesn't want them to know that she did consent, so she's pretending she was sexually assaulted. So that's an accusation that is made against police a lot. So yeah, that's why I just wanted to cover off on that, that the changing of the wording isn't to do with that. I personally, no. Um, I think in, in, in relation to that, the response that I have when I meet someone for the first time, um, regardless of what's being said, my role is to listen, take on as much as I can, and we follow it through. If I don't do that, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. And I'm not doing the best by that person. Yeah. So in this case, when you first met the complainant, was she still in her home or wherever it had happened? She wasn't in a station or in the no, hospital? No, I met her at home. Mm. So, And initially, um, because there's so many people talking to him at the time, we try to minimise that as best we can. For one, people always think, or consider the statement should be done straight away. Well, in these circumstances, we might not do that straight away. It might be in the morning or the afternoon or later. Um, because our, how we manage them and how their recovery comes through is what's important. We can get a brief understanding of what's happened, which just gets us on our way. Um, and then the formalised statement can take a day later, a few days later in some cases, and sometimes a week later because they're managing? just not ready. Yeah, how are you managing all of that? Like, I, So I'm building a picture slowly of what's happened. I don't want us to get ahead of, ahead of ourselves, but so I'm assuming the attacks happened in the house, right? No, this was in a park. Oh, my gosh. Right. And did you arrive at the park when you were called out in Thornbury? Yeah, so the, the initial response is that um, uh, the location, so uh, the divisional vans and the additional vans in the area turn up straight away, as they did in this case. And then that's when the notifications start to happen. So for this particular instance, we're looking at about 10.30 um, at night. And so our response is then like uh, for us to get there is usually a couple of hours afterwards. Can I then ask a hypothetical? How do you manage it if the attack has happened in a home and you're, you've got to manage a person's hysteria, I guess, sometimes, you know, psychology, but you've also got to manage a forensic sort of investigation as well. You've got to start that process. Well, the, the next step is once that we get the initial information and if it's just happened, we'll be looking at a forensic medical. So it gets... They'll go straight to a hospital that's yeah. been assigned, so either Monash or the Royal Women's. That's a process that takes a couple of hours. Mm. So once that's done, in the meantime, um, we're dealing with the house. And um, usually there's some notifications done at that point, so family or partners. And 
if we have to, they, they're organised to go somewhere else. It's somewhere they're more comfortable. And we explain why we might need to stay at a place a little bit longer. And people understand. And they're probably a little bit more comfortable to head off somewhere else for that time being anyway. And in this this case, you've got to manage the the crime scene, but also looking after the the complainant. So you've got a number of people who are out on the case, so to speak. Yes. So uh, the initial response, so once we get to the scene, in this particular instance, we had um, John Wheatley and uh, Alex Lewis. They turned up at the scene, so they took control of that area. And then in discussions between ourselves, we'd identify what else needs to be done. So they're controlling that, so I don't have to worry about that. So then I then just deal with our complainants and move on to there. So I will go straight to the hospital usually. Um, if I'm going to be informant, um, I'll go straight to the hospital because I just obviously want to meet the complainant and, and really start developing a rapport with them. Yeah, absolutely. It's crucial, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think, and also too, when we meet, it's really important that they understand what's going to happen next. And because you're going to be in the complainant's life for a really long time. We are, and probably not as much as what people tend to think because once we get through the initial couple of weeks, our contact becomes less. Oh, really? And in that, once we go through into the committal stream and we start to go through the courts, we're all witnesses, and each time we have a contact that's disclosable. So the Office of Public Prosecution take over, and once they go, and they will then start to have direct contact with all the witnesses in the investigation. So... By then, we'll have all the other aspects of it, help, counselling, etc., in place, and our contact at that point will be minimal unless there's something significant that we need to update or we need to clarify. Ah. And it's about minimising that so that they're getting the help that they need. They can ring us at any time, um, and we go from there. Ah, but you don't want to have too much contact. You, you want enough to say that this is what's happening, mm. especially if you haven't identified somebody. Mm. Um, in this instance, it happened very quick. So we've really gone into the arrest, charge, court process very quickly. Oh, really? So whereas in um, other investigations, it can go on for a number of years. Yeah. Well, that's what we've, we've heard about recently. We heard about an investigation. Well, the whole process took like nine years mm. and they knew who the offender was at, at the time. It was a family friend. So, I mean, it, it can take a really long time. It can, and there's a number of reasons for that. And for, the, for, for those ones that are taking longer, your contact is probably a, um, not as a weekly contact because you're not really telling them anything new. And some people are more... And it depends on the person too. So if they're more than happy to have a discussion with us more regularly and they want to, mm. we can do that. Yeah. But it's really driven by what they want, unless we specifically need something more. Mm. And Brett, is that... As much to discourage a, a dependence on the investigator, but also to help the investigator to maintain a professional boundary with a complainant? I hadn't considered it that way. Um, for me, it, yeah, um, usually it's not the only investigation you're doing, so you're, you're doing other things. But I think it's, from a personal side, it's more about the future court process. And I think we should, at that stage, have everything in place that, these people that are needing help have got help through counselling officers and the, and the like. So it's more about the next process through going through into the court system for me. That's how I see it. But I also make contact so they know what's coming up. And but the OP, the office of public prosecution that is their role once they take over for the court. So I, it's amazing to me how you could find an unknown offender in a situation like this. It's one thing. It seems to me if an attack happens in the CBD or something where I imagine there's lots of CCTV and stuff like that. 
But in a suburban park, I think, God, how on earth do you begin? How? I don't know if you want to disclose any of your methods, but... Oh, look, I, I can talk about what we did, but mm. a lot of it's, it's... This one was quite straightforward. Um, so really, the initial response and the crime scene, and um, we got SES in for lighting. Crime scene come in, they identify where it's happened, and you leave from there and what you find from there. And we're looking for a number of different things, of course, and then it just proceeds from that point on. Where it comes up and information that comes up can sometimes be driven by what we release to the media to, you know, for assistance as well. Yeah, there's a number of ways we go from there. And without CCTV, people think, oh, how do we do it? Well, we talk to everybody in the street. We talk to everyone streets back. We talk to everybody. Never underestimate the power of the dawn. Brett, when you came to the scene, what did you know? What, what were the facts of what happened to yeah. Dimity? She still had the knife with her because uh, the offender in this case um, had a knife. So then we got told about that, but then we also, it came out that Dimity had stabbed him with his own knife. Oh, my goodness. So that in itself was uh, something that I've not had. And after um, the attack, she ran to an intersection, stopped the car, and that's when we called, she called triple zero. Oh, my God. I want to laugh and cry at the same time. What a great girl. <laughs> wow. That's amazing, isn't it? You just never know what you'll do. Mm. Well, that is that is key. You just don't Gosh. And there's no one way to react. Mm. People have a misconception that you've got to react a certain way. Mm. It just doesn't happen. She's so little. <laughs> and so I want to laugh because I think, gosh, I can understand how a man might think she's little and she's defenceless and she's easy, She's an easy little mark. Mm. That's why I feel I don't know who this man is or what he looks like, but I think I can understand how someone might think she might be an easy person to attack and it just goes to show how wrong you can be, eh? Oh, she, <laughs> he might, yeah, well, that's right. Well, he's... He's locked up now, thankfully. Yeah, with a scar in his guts. Uh, left buttock. Oh, really? <laughs> so, so that drove us from had basically identified that car. We need to secure that car. So, we secured that car with the help of the owner, um, and it was forensically tested, etc. So that was a pa- a passerby. Yeah, so just a passerby. Gosh, so um, and it it, it took it took you three days. Yeah, so um, as a result. Dimity had a number of items that were stolen as well, um, one of that being her phone. And um, the offender in this one tried to sell the phone. Um, so that's basically, without going into complete detail, that led us to him. Um, so after that, um, I think we conducted three search warrants at different locations and we were basically just searching forensic material, which we found. Uh, we located him eventually. Um, he ended up handing himself in after discussions with his family to, to come forward because we knew he had an injury and we had to make sure that that was going to get treated as well. So that was the urgency for us as well as getting him off the street. Um, so then he handed himself in. And you used the media as well, didn't you, in this yeah. instance? Yeah. It's not always something that we do, but we will do it where we have to if we need something urgent to, to get out there. so And every case is different. So sometimes people don't hear about some of the investigations, but if we do require that just extra bit of help, we do do it. 
Did you have discussions with his family, or you mean he had discussions with his family? I contacted his family just just to get him in, and, and they, and credit to them, they did whatever they could to get him to us. Were they shocked? Very much. Oh yes, very much. I mean, I can't imagine having to disclose to a parents, I guess. I've only had, the only contact I had was on that day mm-hmm. that we organised and I think it was one or two phone calls afterwards to say that yes, he's in our custody and I haven't spoken to them since. But even that day, that's 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 huge. Oh, very much and it's a shock to their system but to their credit, they, they helped us mm. very much so. That's extraordinary. When it comes to reporting a sexual assault, if the assault has just happened... Go somewhere safe, call triple zero and ask for police. Don't disturb the area where the assault happened. Don't bath or shower. Don't eat or drink anything. Don't wash or discard the clothing you wore during the assault. When it comes to reporting historical sexual assault, so that's any sexual assault that happened days, weeks, months or even years ago, it's never too late. Delays in reporting sexual assault are very common for lots of reasons. If you wish to report historical sexual abuse involving institutions or religious organisations, there's a dedicated task force you can contact. It's called the Sarno Task Force and you can phone 1-800-110-007 or email sarnotaskforce at police.vic.gov.au and all of that info will be in the show notes to this episode. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Julianne, if I may bring you in, please. You are the IOC, what does that stand for, of the Sexual Crime Squad? Oh, I see. So I'm Detective Inspector Julianne Goldrick, and I'm in charge of the Sexual Crime Squad. You're the boss, the big boss. The big boss. 
Do you get called mom like in the British TV shows? Technically, I could. Hopefully, I don't get called that very often. It makes me feel quite old, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not. No, um, you're not. Interestingly, this matter happened about three months before I arrived at Sexual Crime School, mm-hmm. and it was this matter that made me want to go and work there. I, at that time, was living locally. And I received a number of text messages from people I knew, from women I knew in the area. And there was a, a massive sense of fear. Don't walk, don't walk at night until this was actually resolved. And because I've been a police member for over 25 years, it didn't really, that's not something that would normally occur to me because I don't feel a sense of fear. So when I was getting all these text messages, it, it really hit home to me about the impact of sexual violence in the community. And I thought, that's my next spot. So I made a call that week and sure enough, the spot was coming up and uh, here I am. It seems to be an issue of increasing passion, I'm going to say, in our community, I think. It's not like it's a new issue, but it feels like it's an issue that we're increasingly angry about, doesn't it? Absolutely. The community is angry about it. Mm. The community's got a a great voice Mm. around it. And because of that and because of the conversations that go with it, we're making huge progress. You really? Oh. I, I absolutely think so. We're talking about what is consent. Yes, you're right. We yeah. talked earlier today before we started um, the recording about when were you taught about what consent was? Absolutely. As I a was child. probably in my 40s. Well, to be honest, honestly. like There's a lot of stuff I know hmm. looking back you think, hmm, did I consent to that? Yeah. Or We're having conversations I reckon in the last decade really and yet our children are now. So we, we are. We're talking about what is consent and it's really interesting what you said, Emily. People still wonder if they've consented. Absolutely. So I'll take the opportunity to say that we, on the Victoria Police website, if you put in sexual assault, there's information on there. There's information about what consent is, which some people feel, when, when they've had an incident happen, they think, have I been assaulted? Yes. Have mm-hmm. I been sexually assaulted? Yeah. Is it rape? Yep. Did I consent? All those sort of questions, and they might feel that they need to you know, really check the facts before they report. And a lot of what we're talking about today is because of under-reporting. We want to try and encourage people through understanding the progress and and understanding what we do to report for a number of reasons, which we can go into. But on that website is what is consent, what is sexual assault? And I really encourage people, if they're not sure or they're having those conversations, to access that information so that we're really aware. Yeah, we'll put a link to that on the, in the show notes to this episode and also on our uh, social media to make it really easy for people to access that. Absolutely. Wherever they are in Australia. So that's on the Victoria Police um, website. But that's right. Yeah, everyone yeah, will be able you. to access that. And there's that fear as well. Look, I, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. Um, you've grown up a bit with that messaging and hearing about, you know, uh, if something happens to someone you know, were you drinking? What were you wearing? And you filter your own behaviour through that. So when I look back in my late teens, early 20s, you think, you know, I don't think I would have been really willing to report anything because I'd be too worried about how my behaviour or what I did would be reflected on what had happened. Or maybe you would have accepted some responsibility. I think a lot of women over the years have just thought to themselves, oh, well, to a certain extent, I bought that on myself. It's a, it's a very live conversation, yeah. isn't it, victim blaming? Yeah. So I do a fair few media stand-ups, particularly when we're asking for information, and often I'm asked the questions about 
Why were they walking there? Mm. Well, because they have a right to walk. Why were you out at night? Because they were. Lawfully, that is your freedom and your right. Mm -hmm. So why are we asking questions of people who are going about their lawful business? Mm -hmm. Let's ask questions of the people who are responsible for crime. Mm -hmm. So that's a real passion of mine, talking about what is victim blaming and why do we do it? I mean, that's an interesting psychology in itself. But the important thing and the message that we really need to get across to the community is there's only one person who was ever responsible for a crime. We say that all the time. The and perpetrator, right? it is the perpetrator. The offender. It is absolute. Yeah. There is no question. Mm. No one else has, uh, has any culpability in that. And that is such an important message to get across. And I suppose I can understand, you know, from the conversation over the years where people are asking these questions, is it because they have a, a sense of, well... That couldn't happen to me mm. because I wouldn't be out walking at night or is it a, a fear that they want to make sure that they are safe? I'm not sure what it is. I don't. I think some of it's really um, subconscious. Mm. I think some of it's unintended. But it's, it's an important piece to understand because, and we may even hear a bit about that, and I'll be interested to hear from Dimity on this, when you read things in the paper asking those questions, what is the impact mm. on survivors of sexual assault? What's mm. the impact of that? One last question I have for you is that in this episode that we ran recently, there was a conversation around an officer in particular who was not great. <laughs> to, be, to, to just summarise, not great. Th- there was also this conversation about other officers sort of closing ranks when a complaint was made. That is an accusation that's made about police a lot. What do you do? How do you cope when an officer is, even to give her the benefit of the doubt, as the, the mum in this episode did, she said, look, I think she was burnt out. I think maybe she wasn't coping. And, and so she wasn't treating this mum very well. So I don't know the matter you're speaking about, so I'll be I'll be careful about what I say. Yeah, we don't have to be specific yeah. about that, but, I mean, we know that it's a... It's a really tough gig that these yeah. members have. Police members do have a tough time. And they're dealing with families who are really stressed out as well. Absolutely. You're going to deal with people who are being yes. difficult. Yes, that's all, that's all true. personality clashes. You're going to have... In our squad. Yeah. Like we, we have a large squad. They're specialists. We're, they're specialists trained, everyone who is there. We are very conscious of workload. We're very conscious of stress. And Victoria Police has come a long way. Like we would never have had these conversations years ago about how are you going? You know, we would never have had specialist people come in and talk to us about anxiety, stress levels, workload. We're really attuned to that, to keep our members as healthy as they can be so that they can give the best response to people who they encounter because that initial response is so important. We have a historical arm in Sexual Crime Squad, so we do cold cases as well. And regularly, people who um, we recontact after 20 or 30 years, they talk about their experience with the police at the time. And the amount of work that has to go into building that rapport because of that initial contact is huge. So we know that we've come so far from that time. We understand the importance of the relationship at the initial scene and, you know, your first impressions of somebody. If you get an investigator who is burnt out, stressed, tired, whatever it is, appeal like they don't believe you, how's that going to How's that going to play out through the investigation? Mm. Poorly, I'd say. So we know that it's really important for investigators when they arrive to speak to people, to build a rapport, to trust people, to believe people and to listen. And if we can start like that, 
We're going to be so much better off down the track. We're going to get access to the support services they need. We're going to have that relationship. We're going to have, a, you know, hopefully a successful outcome, whatever the successful outcome is. And I think that's another important thing probably to talk about. What is success? Yeah, because now the statistics are pretty, still pretty low, aren't they, for conviction for sexual crimes? It is, but I think the, yeah, the point that you make about our first contact and where it goes from there, not every investigation we do go to court. No. and that's, few, Very few do. Yeah, well, through the wishes also sometimes of the complainants. But we have, may have considered success because of the opportunity they get then for counselling and they get support services that we can obviously assist with, put them in the right direction. Because in the past that was another complaint we heard was that the police didn't assist with any kind of support services at all for the victim's family whereas the offenders got lots of support in prison. So now, so that's changed now? You do actually... I can only talk from our squad and it is something that's made very clear that these are the opportun- these are the things that we can do right. and what we should be doing. And it is happening for our work group on a regular basis. So success is one thing if you deem it through a result at court or the help a person may need because not every person wants to go through the court process. I can understand why. Is it still as harrowing? That's the word I'm going to use. The court system is famously, people say it's like being raped again. That's the term we've heard many times. That'd be, I suppose, you'd have to talk to someone who'd been through it from that side as a complainant. From an investigator and sitting there watching it, everything's challenged. And that's what the court process is for. And that's why initially our response is so important. So that maybe on that day at court, it might be a little bit easier. Yep. Again, so sorry to compare it to homicide, and I only do that because we hit, we speak to so many homicide investigators. So they talk about how that building the brief is so important. They've got to be so meticulous so that when they get to court, everything's going to be challenged and they're ready. So you, you're saying similarly, it's just really important to build that brief early on so that when you get to court, it's all there. From the first contact, and it's, I keep saying it, but it, the rapport you build at the beginning is so important. It may be the smallest detail that you obtain. It may get left out. If it gets left out, it may get disclosed or found out at court, and that's where the pitfalls start. So it really is important for that initial contact and from the next week or so from that point. But every case is different, so you can you can see where it leads as you go. Um, but I, I come back, the initial contact is so important. Mm, gosh, that's so much responsibility. It is, but you either want to do this particular crime theme or you don't. There's not a lot of people that really like this type of crime theme. They want to be chasing the bank robbers and the like. Well, it's a bit different here. The stick-ups. Yeah. As Gary Jubilant <laughs> taught me, the stick-ups. <laughs> uh, Julianne, can I ask you a question? So we have had quite a bit of contact. We do get quite a lot of contact from listeners, some of whom have been sexually assaulted many years ago, sometimes 20, 30 years ago. If someone never reported it at the time, can they still come to you and report something? Absolutely. So as as we've talked about today, Sexual Crime Squad is quite particular in our remit. So we are stranger-based crime. So rape by a stranger, sexual assault by a stranger, abduction for the purpose of sexual assault or life-threatening injuries for, as a result of sexual assault. So we're quite particular in our remit. As you know, the sockets do all the other sexual assaults. So there's 26 sockets around the state. So there's a lot of investigators. It is never too late to report. We have matters that go back 40, 50 years. Sometimes it means the avenues of inquiry are quite different. As you know, there was no CCTV around 50 years ago. However, there is always avenues of inquiry. There's witnesses, 
And sometimes with the passage of time, people will give a different account to what they might have at the time for whatever reason. They might have had relationships at the time that no longer exist. They might just want to get something off their conscience. You just don't know. So if if there is any survivors out there who are wondering whether it's too late, I'd say it's not. No, and we, another thing we learnt through the Royal Commission was that the average period of time is 33 years, isn't it, between an incident and disclosure in that case? That's in, right. In those cases. That's right. extraordinary. Mm. And it's the same for sockets. If someone has been assaulted but, you know, the person is known to them, they can still go and... Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you to Detective Leading Senior Constable Brett Snagowski and Detective Inspector Julianne Goldrick. And thank you, Victoria Police Media. If you need to speak to somebody about any issues raised in today's episode, you can always call Lifeline 24 hours a day on 13 11 14 for free telephone counselling and for information about other services. Next week on Australian True Crime, we'll hear from Dimity, who is a very surprising woman in many wonderful ways. I'm looking so forward to sharing that with you. Thank you for supporting us and our guests. Take care out there. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian true crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.